Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to The Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 441 of The Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So I'm hoping all our listeners had a nice Thanksgiving. Uh, We have a topic today that maybe fits with the idea of multiple generations coming together, which maybe or maybe not happened this past weekend for some of our listeners. We're going to be talking about family history and specifically your recent foray into genealogy. I'm really excited about this. This is something you spoke about a couple of times this summer when we were kind of sharing about our summers, um, and we had some requests to dive a little bit deeper. I admit, I feel a little intimidated because I know we have listeners who are super duper into this, and then people like me who, I mean, I understand the concept, but I have never been on Ancestry.com. Um... And then you really are more like a recent uh, student of the process. So we're not going to be instructing anyone, I guess. We're just going to be coming to this from where we currently are. Yeah. And I want to say as well that I have actually been interested in this for a very long time and have had bouts before where I've been on Ancestry or I've been on 23andMe looking, you know, and then have shelved it for like years Mm -hmm. at a time. And Sometimes I think that kind of makes people mad if they're really into it. So like I've connected with people before on those (laughs) platforms who get kind of like they take it very seriously and they get a little irritated if you kind of come and go. I actually had someone who emailed me and said, basically, this is where we end. We were like fourth cousins. And she was basically just like, your search is taking up too much of my time. And the funny thing was, I did not expect her to be doing all the search on my behalf. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, She wasn't mean about it. She was just like, yeah, this is taking up too much of my time. Best of luck. And I was like, oh, okay." Meanwhile, I hadn't thought about it in like three weeks. So it is an interesting um, community to delve into, especially if like many moms do, we can kind of flit in and out, but maybe aren't in the place to take it super duper seriously. And I don't want that to intimidate anybody because I've also had so many like casual contacts with people who were lovely and didn't really care and just shared like it was a very it's a very open and generous group. That's what I love about it. But also just beware, just know that you can kind of dip in and out, but that not everyone else is dipping in and out. So I'm so glad you just started there because this reveals truly my naivete about this whole thing. Like I kind of forgot that to do this genealogy ancestry um, like journey for yourself involves 
connecting with other people yes. and that there are like norms and expectations built into this world. I, like I would not have even thought of that. I, I wrote down some questions I wanted to ask you and that was not even on my radar. I, it reminds me of like, like it's like you went to a book club and didn't read the book or something like everyone's yes. like expecting you to have a certain level of interest in something that you might just be dabbling in. And um, that is fascinating. I also wouldn't have understood that you asking questions or making connections would have put work on someone else's plate. That's really odd to me that she said that. Um, well, again, this is somebody I think who, who does this very, like, I think she's retired and this mm -hmm. is a serious side hobby to the point where it's not even a hobby. Really. It's like a mm -hmm. serious volunteer type effort that, you know, she'll go to like cemeteries and do rubbings of gravestones and then put them into archives, like those okay. kinds of things. Yeah. And it's so important that those people are out there doing that. I think what I underestimated was that I might be kind of wasting other people's time if I'm not willing to Got do it. that level. And um, again, it wasn't like I ruined her year. I think she was just right. like, well, I've gotten you as far as I can. And, and now I'm bowing out. And I was like, oh, I really didn't expect you to do anything yeah. at all. Thanks. So it's just, when you say like norms and standards, I don't actually know that there are norms and standards because certainly nothing like ethically was said to be as, you know, as a um, sort of beginner, very, I don't know, casual hobbyist family history researcher slash genealogist. This is what's expected of you. I don't really feel like there was anything expressed to me like that. I'm just realizing that people are at very at very different levels of how much they want to engage and how seriously they take it. And sometimes what you think is a casual request, someone else will take very seriously. So just good to know. Yeah. And I meant by that, that there were maybe unspoken, like unspoken yeah. um, dynamics that you might not even be aware of. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, I wanted to kind of start by talking about being women of a certain age. You and I are in our mid forties. Um, and just anecdotally, I feel like this is a time where a light goes on for a lot of people and, and a level of interest increases or maybe like you, they've been interested, but now really want to start digging. I just in my own family, my grandma started writing her like writing her self-published memoirs when she was probably in her 50s. Mm -hmm. um, and I have seen my mom and my aunts like there is something about midlife or even maybe a little past where we are, where this really um, the bar graph like jumps up in the number of women who seem to be interested in this topic. Do you agree? Disagree? Do you have any ideas why? Well, I think like many other things, we've joked about midlife lady leisure pursuits. Often we just have more time opening up to us to get into things that maybe we've been interested in for a long time, peripherally, but now actually have a little money or a little bit of, you know, hand, our hands are free because we're not changing right. diapers or whatever to actually dive in. I also think it's gotten easier and easier for everybody. So, okay. you know, 20 years ago when I was first interested in this, there, the resources were out there, but they weren't anything like they are now in 20, you know, 2003, I, I think Ancestry.com had just gone up like a year or two before. Um, so there wasn't, it wasn't as robust. So what we might be seeing is like, oh, it's women of a certain age. It might also just be like everybody has access now to stuff they didn't. But I do think that there is something to getting into mid, you know, the midlifey years and being like, man, time goes by really fast. And if we don't document this, then what gets lost? You start to realize yeah. 
our parents get older, are we lose our grandparents or they get really old and we say, oh, I wish I knew that about them or I wish I had access to that yeah. story. Um, I think so. It's like a confluence of all of those things, probably. Uh, one thing I think has been interesting about, and I know we're going to dive into our individual like researches, how this has been. But when I first got into just the idea and I was handed a uh, typed, probably from the 70s, family tree on my dad's mm-hmm. side. And at that point, it was very ego driven. Like I wanted to know if I was connected to any famous people. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, I just wanted like the almost like, ooh, who am I? Who? What's my family story in sort of a meta way? Like, uh-huh. am I important? Where am I on this Where, map? Exactly. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, it's become much less about that and much more. I'm much more curious now about the stories of the nor- the ordinary people and like what their lives were like. And I think 20 years ago, maybe I just didn't have the context in life yet to care. Um, but now I find that that's a, more of a motivator. To yeah. yeah. Um, well, a few things. I agree about access getting easier, but in my family, uh, my Grandma started her journey before the internet. She was typing yeah. those memoirs on. She was contacting relatives in Finland and like, you know, so I do think there is something to what you said about the older generation, like parents and grandparents are passing on or getting older or their memories are starting to go. And so there's this almost urgency to capture the we're going to talk later about like the orally passed down stories, which is different than like finding your, you know, fourth cousin on ancestry.com. But just like, is anybody going to remember this stuff that happened as the older generations get older and pass on? And then I also think if we do have our own kids who are getting older, we've just been through enough um, seasons of life, I think to probably peak curiosity about like, I find myself thinking, what is, what's an experience that's the same, no matter where you Mm -hmm. are or what time period there's having a new baby, there's the heartbreak of loss and grief there's, and like, I find it so interesting to think about the emotional parallels with generations past, even if the circumstances of life were so, so different. And I mean, just think about us living through a pandemic, raising teenagers into young adults, like there were women and moms doing those things, including living through wars and pandemics and crises and things like that, um, that we are connected to. I think for me, it peaks a a kind of curiosity about the emotional experience that exactly like you said, I don't know that we have the headspace or the context Mm -hmm. for those, for those wonderings when we're 25 or even 30, 35. Yeah. I totally agree with all that. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. 
Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, so Megan, I'm going to dive in with some kind of newbie questions for you because, again, this is fresh for you. It was this summer that you, you know, really like you took yourself to a different location to do this. Yeah. So you, this was be, uh, a, a step beyond just Googling stuff. Um, so my first question has to do with what I was talking about before, which is like generations above us passing on. Your mom and dad are both. Uh, have long passed. And I'm curious, like, how you think that informs the way you have done this search? Because you're not, um, you don't have their oral stories and you're not cross-checking with a generation above you. Um, How is it different doing this discovery when a lot of the people you're looking into have have passed away? Is it easier in some ways? I, I could see it being like a little less fraught. Um, but of course you're missing, you're missing that anecdotal piece. Well, it's, it's less fraught for sure. I feel very like, um, uh, what's the word neutral. It's like whatever. Now, (laughs) most people that I'm talking about are digging in and not just my parents, but grandparents. Um, and a lot of what I'm actually looking into is my grandparents and and great grandparents. So they're all gone now and I don't have to tiptoe around the reality of people being alive and all the family secrets and skeletons. Like, so right. that does, that makes it a little easier. Um, there's so many times where I'm like, oh, I'm kicking myself that I didn't ask my mom or my dad more about this. Now I will say my dad was very disinterested and I yeah. had a conversation with him and my, one of my aunts. So his younger sister at one point where I was like, oh, and then this was a long time ago. I had found their mother's, um, name on a ship, what do they call it? Not a registry, manifest, manifest Mm -hmm. from like before they were born. And it was a trip from like Canada to Ireland or something. And, and she was traveling with this older couple and I was trying to put it together. I was like, do you think she was a nanny for them? Or do you think she was, were they like taking her abroad for lessons? Like what would have been the thing that would have been like, why would she have been traveling 
with a sort of middle-aged couple when she was in her 20s. And they were both, why would you want to know that? I mean, they were so disinterested that it almost made me think like, is there some scandal here I don't know about? And they're trying to keep me off the scent. I'm not sure. That aunt is still alive, but I'm not going back to her (laughs) for more more questions because she either won't tell me or doesn't care. Then on my mom's side, her younger sister is very into it, but she's 10 years younger and didn't really hear or learn about a lot of the things like trying to track down my mom's biological father. She didn't even hear about that. She didn't even know that this guy existed and wasn't her dad Mm -hmm. until she was well into adulthood. So I still have people, but like they only know like little snippets here and there. Um, The people I really wish I could talk to were both of my grandmas, actually. Um, I don't know how forthcoming they would be, but I do wish they were around to ask because then I could just clear some of this up. It'd be like, okay, why, you know, like all this Snoopy or not Snoopy, Scooby-Doo stuff I'm doing, like going to cemeteries and trying to track down gravestones and things like that. Like they could have been like, oh yeah, just go to that that graveyard. That's where you'll find it. And so it, it adds more to the mystery, but adds a lot more work. To have, yeah, to to have most people either no longer alive, not willing to to talk about what they know or just not know that much. Yeah. And you're right. Every even if you had everybody alive, um, it's a people have a complicated relationship with their own past. Um, Yeah. Brian's dad didn't know his own dad very well. He knew him as a child for a, a short amount of time. And Brian's aunt. So Mike's sister, uh, I think very much wanted to know more and looked into it and did some digging around. And Brian's dad, I believe if I have the facts correct, was like, no, thank you. I'm good. And Mm -hmm. those are, you know, those are siblings. They're really close in age, actually. So they did share the same household and same experience. And one of them really wanted to kind of know more. And one of them did not. And that is, that's just going to be the way it is. So you make a good point that even as people are alive, um, it's not like it's not like they are a free source of of oral history information. <laughs> and they, yes. And yeah. they might they might just be disinterested. They might not remember or they might be actively like trying to dissuade you. I have another aunt on my mom's side who talking to my mom's younger sister, Kay, um, well, youngest sister, who's the one who's been kind of helping me. My aunt Kay said, you know, this other aunt is not interested and has said several times that we should drop this and that it's like old family news. She just says, it's like weird because who cares? I'm not going to write a tell all scandal book about my family. And I just like what, what bad can come from it, but there's definitely a generational thing where like, we don't talk about this. That is the past. Let it go. And, um, maybe because she's close, she's older. So she's closer to it. Whereas I'm like two generations removed. So I'm like, whatever, you know, Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, moving from the emotional to the practical, um, can you just kind of like give us an overview of the actual resources, the tools, the methods that you cobbled together this summer? And for those who listened this summer, I think you kind of, you teased at this a little bit, but let's just dive in and I'll, I'll jump in with questions because I know you did a lot. Sure. Well, I have known for a long time that we had a different grandfather, a different biological grandfather than any of us had ever known. I don't actually think any of my siblings ever knew my mom's uh, adoptive dad. I think he died like right before my sister was born. So we didn't have a relationship with him anyway, but he'd always been grandpa, you know, grandpa Nikolai. And so it wasn't until we were older, much older that we realized there was this other guy. And then everything kind of slowly 
well, it would come out in like little spurts, but then my grandma didn't want to talk about it and she was still alive. And so really just in the last few years, since my grandma died, it's been kind of, it has felt more okay to start digging. And again, there's the trouble, right? Because right. it's okay to dig, but no one can tell us but anything. No one's around. Okay. I'm going to yeah. already pause you for sure. those trying to picture the family tree. Your mom grew up with a mom and dad. Yeah. But the mom, but the dad she grew up with was, had adopted her and was not her biological father. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And you knew the grandma, you knew your mom's mom yep. and you never knew your mom. You never knew either of your mom's dads, the one who adopted nope. her and it was in her life. And then the one you found out was her biological father. Okay. Exactly. Just for those following along at yep. home. And so, you know, I was very curious and really wanting, and my mom at one point had shared a name with us that either I misremembered or she garbled, but either way, long story short, when we finally tracked the guy down and we did, um, it was like the like inverse of the name. So like oh. it was instead of, I'm not going to give his name right. on Don but Johnson, it's like, John Donson exactly, or something. Yeah. That's sort of exactly what it was like. Yeah. It was like, and it was a Finnish name. So it's not like name I'm super familiar with anyway and lots of vowels uh-huh. <laughs> and so we like swapped it it was um yeah essentially just like like the syllables even like it sounds like essentially the same cadence the same name like in reverse so uh-huh. um I was searching for the wrong guy for like decades because my mom told us about this when I was in my 20s wow. and I had gone on ancestry many times but the UP the upper peninsula of Michigan which is where my mom and dad's people were both from um, there's a million Finns. It's like the most Finnish, it's the highest concentration of Finnish people, I think anywhere besides Finland or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. So like, well, it's like, so it's, it's a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Um, and more anos than you could ever imagine. And like all the last names have so many vowels. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm just illustrating that <laughs> all the tools in the world wouldn't have gotten me to him if I hadn't, um, also done a DNA test. So if there's somebody out there that you really want to track down and it's like, you don't have a solid lead on their name or their birth date or their, where they live, you, you may consider doing the DNA route because that was a shortcut for me that it helped me blast through a lot of unknowables, Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of conflicting information. So just saying that right there, 23 and me was one and that was my original DNA test. I did that like when I was pregnant with Clara, when they, the company had first started okay. and I was, I did connect with distant cousins on there. So like third, fourth, fifth cousins on my mom's dad's side. Okay. Um, but then when I finally did the ancestry.com DNA test that conclusively connected me, there's just more people on it using it for uh, family history research mm-hmm. where 23 and me, I think has got more of a scientific community, yeah, like health, health yeah. prevention and that kind of thing. Right. So it was just, it was a little bit, it was just a wider sample of people. And that definitively connected me with, with that guy. Now, all that said, ancestry, even if you don't ever do the DNA portion was an amazing resource for census records, um, death records, marriage records, um, Gosh, what else? I mean, they have like so many things on there that it's just great to go in and search. And this is a good time of year to ask for it for a gift. I think they usually have okay. kind of deals like do three months or something. I feel like at the holidays, maybe they do deals. Um, and you can find a lot of information just by pouring through Ancestry.com. Newspapers.com is another great one that it archives not 
all the newspapers, but a lot of newspapers. And I've done fun things before, like just um, searching the address I live at to see what the house was used for before. Yeah, you've told me about yeah. this and I always forget, um, but I'm so much more into, I'm actually more into building history than family yeah. history. I love that architectural history. So that's a good reminder for me. Newspapers.com. Yeah, newspapers.com. I, I mean, it's not, it's not quite as easy to use as like ancestry because with ancestry, you can say, okay, um, my grand, great, great grandpa's name was this. And I think he was born around this date and around this place. And it will like really intuitively do a lot of that searching for you. Newspapers, you're just putting in search terms. At least last time I used newspapers.com. Yeah. I'm sure AI has probably gotten there too, but um, it's more just like literal, like mm -hmm. either this address or name turned up or it didn't. And so I find it a little clunkier to use, but it's also very helpful. But then the in real life stuff, that was where we really took it over the summer. My sister and I went up to the town where my mom and grandma were both born. And um, we went physically to that region. And that really blew the top off of our research. There's just things you can't really find out through an online database. Um, that we really were able to find out there. So we went to the courthouses and asked, you know, for them to do research, um, to do searches. We went to the church where we believe my grandma was probably baptized and asked them to do a search there. Um, we went to the University Michigan um, Tech up in Houghton, Michigan, so way, way up there. They had an amazing archive with super helpful people. They were able to show us both our... Um, both our grandfather and our, uh, like, so our adoptive grandfather, the one we knew, and then at the time, our putative grandfather, who uh -huh. turned out not even to be the right guy, but whatever. Right. They were able, we were able to see their, um, their work records, like their actual hundred year old, wow. um, like the record that their bosses had kept because they yeah. both worked for the copper mines. Yeah. Um, we connected with a researcher in the area who just showed up at the archives with us. And like helped us just to do it wow. just for free. So um, cemeteries, just wandering around. I just stumbled across my grandma's mom's parents in the graveyard, like just walking around. Wow. And so like that stuff that you, I really recommend trying to do a trip if you can, because it brought it all, it kind of pulled it all together. And yeah. even though we left still not knowing some things, um, oh, in the microfilm that the University Archives had, we found a whole bunch of stories about my grandma's mom. So my great grandma on my mom, on my grandma's side, my maternal great grandmother. Um, we found such cool stuff that I don't think we would have found just searching from home. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I guess I have another kind of like naive question about the 23andMe and the Ancestry.com, those kind of starting platforms. Like we talked about, there are people who for very good and personal reasons may have no interest in connecting the dots in their family history. It's traumatic. Um, there's a, a family privacy that is just not, they're just not, they don't want to go there. So when you're on those platforms, the people you are quote unquote finding, connecting with, it's all sort of consensual, right? Do you, like, I think what I'm trying to get at is I know you, I don't think you've found anybody who didn't want to be found, but I would imagine there's some sensitivity around that, especially with things like adoption and yeah. all kinds of ways that different families came to be in this country, especially. Well, uh, yes and no. So, um, I didn't find anybody alive who didn't want to be found. 
Okay. Once people are dead, it's kind of open season, well, honestly. Right. That's yeah. A public yeah. Record. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a public yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. And when I connected with via DNA, I did then connect with people who were not consenting because it's easy to figure it out. Once you okay. know for sure someone is your first cousin, mm-hmm. and that was like basically where it led me, then I know who my half aunt is because all I have to do is can is so it's not like they put their DNA out there, but like the cousin did not his mom mm-hmm. who would have been my mom's sister. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I did reach out to the first cousin who I connected with. He and I had a short conversation on Facebook. Uh, it was a little awkward. And then it was kind of like, well, you know, that's done <laughs> because then he said, well, my sister might have more information for you, but my her husband just died and this really isn't a good time. And I don't know how open she would be. And I was like, OK, I mean, I'm yeah. not going to harass these people. Right. Um, he told me what he knew about our grandpa. And I have to remind myself, like. I have just as much like of a right to that grandpa as he does, you know what I mean? Like not a right, like I don't need his money or anything. But I'm just as much biological material from this man as this guy who grew up with him. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting to look at it that way. And I feel like I'm intruding, but also I just want to know stuff. But like, yeah, I don't actually need to know that much. So I don't know how much further I'll pursue it. I guess I would say it still is a little touchy because while the people that you directly connect with are consenting, not everybody who's part of the story is consenting. Yeah. Well, I think it's just I think it's just worth acknowledging that like. I think sometimes people go into this just thinking a fascinating family tree will be interesting and forget that like there may be people and reasons for those people who have no interest in. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying you did that. Um, I have a friend who um, learned she had a half sibling and she's not older generation. She's our generation learned. She had a half sibling from um, one of her parents, you know, having an affair outside the marriage. And it was a, it was eventually that person, they did connect, but like, you're not always ready for information or changes to the, like the literal, like family tree you thought you had. I would imagine that is upsetting for some people. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, like, this is the guy that it sounds like he was a real hard. (laughs) It sounds like he was an interesting character. Let's just put it that way. But this was the grandpa that these people grew up with and probably had some venerated um, identity in their minds. And actually he like abandoned my grandmother. I mean, like that's right. So, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't need to crush anyone's dreams here. Um, My story doesn't, it almost doesn't matter, but Mm -hmm. like I would, I'm conscious of that for sure. Yeah. 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 And I, again, I was not saying that you weren't, but I just, I, I wonder how often that happens. That's sort of an innocent digging around <laughs> turns yeah. tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, now we're a few months past your big summer of family history exploration. Are there kind of some stories or some things you found out that you find yourself thinking about? I know you've talked about maybe wanting to write about or do more. Yeah. So I love that you kind of had a flurry and then you've now sat with it for a bit. What is still like, what, what stories still want more from you? Yeah. I, I mean, I think what is the most fascinating about all of this to me is how many human stories, you realize so many human stories are caught up in your story 
and like led to your story. So depending on the one I'm hyper fixated in it on any given moment, that might be where my attention is. Like that's just one. (laughs) And there were four sets of, uh, you know, there's four different grandparents and they all had their parents and those parents all had their parents. And, you know, so, um, when I was in the UP doing that search, we realized pretty quickly, my sister and I, like we had run into a couple dead ends with finding our bio grandfather. At this point, I did not have the DNA connection yet to my cousin because I hadn't done, I hadn't got my results back yet from okay. Ancestry. So it kind of stopped at um, what we were able to find, which was more about my grandma's people. So my grandma's mom and dad. And what I learned was that my grandmother's mother. So my great grandmother, Alita was one of six members of her family who died of tuberculosis, um, including the mother. So my great, great grandmother, Clara also died. Well, I didn't even know like that. Her name was Clara. Um, when I named my Clara, she died of tuberculosis and five of her children in one family. And I read that and I'm like, are you kidding me? And so when my um, and with like in year, years of each other, like two little girls died within like a week of each other. And then it was just awful. Like it was when you read about this family's history and I'm just reading this through, through, um, obituaries. That's the, where I'm getting yeah. this feeling like, you know, if this family was hit again and blah, blah, blah. And then I believe actually my great grandmother was the last one and she made it into her twenties and had two little girls. So my grandma and her little sister were, I think, like four and one and when mom and their died. mom died. So just looking at that, I thought, I'm like, what? <laughs> let's just sit with that for a little bit, like the heaviness of that. And what is like, I got so interested in their family story and like what that would have been like, where they lived, when they lived. This was all happening around like between 19, I think the first one died in like 1918 through. 1927, I think was the last one. So it happened over a series of years. Um, and just like, wow, what was that like? And the really interesting thing is that once I figured out who my bio grandfather was, I was like, well, whatever. I don't even really care about that story anymore. I want to know a little bit about our health history. Uh I think that would be interesting, but I don't, as storytelling goes, he made himself irrelevant. He, he removed himself the from narrative. the scene. Yes. He's out of the narrative and I don't really care. I don't need to know anything more about him. Um, except it's interesting that I have this other family and I'm, yeah. and I am interested in the, the, like I am a quarter Finn and I know nothing about that really, except yeah. that I've been doing Finnish on Duolingo for 450 days now. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I've got a streak of 450 days. That's pretty great. Um, but other than that, like maybe I'll talk to my cousins again. Maybe I'll try to connect with more of them, but I don't really care hair from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. I'm much more focused in on that. My great grandma and maybe even the great greats. And then there, her people were from French Canada and how cool would it be to go to like Quebec city, Montreal, try to find out more about that. I mean, it takes me down. It takes me down some serious rabbit holes. And I think that's where if, if you're going to trace your family history back, you're going to go really far. Like it just keeps going. Yeah. And so well, like you yeah. said, each generation multiplies. You have four grandparents, eight great grandparents, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, then there's each, um, branch as you follow back can keep going and going. And then there's more and more of them. Yeah. It's almost like the work you did to try to find your biological grandfather sort of gave you new tools and skills. But like you said, that's not actually the story 
that is still pulling at you. Yeah. And I do think there's probably a book in it for me one day. I just haven't quite figured out what it is. Well, what about the actual staying organized, getting started? I'm imagining like 50 browser tabs open to all these different things. Like what do you have any tips for um, somebody just getting started specifically about um, that practical stuff, staying organized, keeping track of what you're doing or even just where to start? I'm not even going to talk about staying organized because I don't know how to do that yet. Like that is not a thing I have achieved. Um, I think in the beginning, it's probably more important to stay open than to stay organized. Um, I have a notebook where I was like writing down trees because you're, it takes a while for your brain to think like a family tree because everything's going in reverse. So if you're looking at like, if you're trying to make a connection between you and three generations back, and you know, say, you know, I was able to figure out through DNA that I was related to someone three generations back. Okay. That means I have to go three generations back and work forward rather than trying to work from what I know now, which maybe is nothing. Right. And going back, I lose the, you lose the scent immediately. So even thinking like that, it just took me forever of like, I would write down Okay, me and this person, Sandra, let's say that made that up. I know we're like third or fourth cousins. What would it mean then? She would have to be related to one of these people from my background. And I would write them all down. And then I'd look at her tree and write down all the people for her that were three generations back, knowing that it's not perfect. It could have been two, it could have been four. Like it's going to be in there. And then try to see the connections. And I think it's really easy when your, your brain wants to see a pattern, your brain wants to like um, solve it. You can really fixate on a theory and then not be open to other possibilities. And I ran into that a few times where I was like, well, I think it's this guy. So I'm going to now construct a narrative that's going to make this true. And then, you know, I, even my aunt was like, well, I think it's him. And I think it looks like, you know, the picture that I saw once in a family, everybody wants it to be true. And we're all going down these rabbit holes and it's fine. Like you have to allow yourself to go down a rabbit hole but you can't get too attached to any one rabbit hole. And so for me, it's been more important. I have like a whole notebook where I've sketched out theories and then just pass that page and I'll never go back and look at it again unless I have a reason to, because I think it's probably not true. Um, so that kind of thing. When I was doing in-person, oh, and I will also say, take advantage of the tools. If you're using a, something like ancestry.com, Take advantage of the tools that are built in to help you save, like save things to you. Don't forget to save that record to your tree. For example, even if it doesn't seem like it means anything now, it yeah. might later. It's so easy to find yourself searching something and be like, wait, didn't I just search this? And then you get back to that census record. And you're like, I've looked at the census record 17 times now. Like, yeah. And so having physical copies, I printed a lot of stuff just so I didn't have to keep looking it up online. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I ever yet have gotten to the point where I feel organized with my online research. It's just a lot of treading old ground and allowing myself to be surprised by what I find or looking at it with fresh eyes. Um, in person, it was really helpful to take a lot of photos on my phone while I was looking at stuff and like going at the end of the night, I would kind of go back through the photos and map out where I'd been that day and try to connect people to places. Um, and, and like the photo I had taken and I talked to absolutely everybody, people that I wouldn't think would care. Um, you never know who might have some information yeah. 
getting in a conversation with like the um, woman in the, I believe it's called, the, well, the sexton, I think, is the person who runs the cemetery, runs a graveyard, like a caretaker. I always think of that again, Scooby-Doo, like the, the creepy guy walking through the graveyard, but they're not. Sextons aren't creepy, it turns out. Um, but there was like a lady in the vital records office at the Catholic church that's been around forever where I'm pretty sure my grandma was baptized. And she was an interesting source of information because she knew we said, well, at one point, my fam, my, um, grandma's family, she had like, I don't know, 11 siblings, but most of them were half siblings. And I said, at one point it just falls off. They don't go to this Catholic church anymore. And so this woman knew that in those days, you would have gone to this Catholic church if your family was German, but you would have gone to that Catholic church if your family was French. And so at one point, because my grandma remarried, she switched to the German Catholic church. And I believe my grandpa had also remarried. And that I believe also was a different church. I can't remember now which, like what ended up happening, but they, you might not find your records where you expected them because of the way things were like along cultural lines. Right. And right. yeah. And I wouldn't have known that. I, I mean, I no. guess I could have learned it if I'd read forever, but yeah. 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 So yeah. And then I would say, this is the one I'm definitely going to be doing. Like this is not a one and done. I'm planning return visits because I, I got really overwhelmed mm-hmm. trying to keep it all straight in my head so much I didn't know. It was like at one point I had to just choose one story and my sister and I both felt really um, connected to the, my grand, my great grandma's story. And that was where we really ended up going. We, we kind of forgot. We let everything else go while we were up there. And so if I want to dig back into that or to another story, I'm going to have to go back. I couldn't do it all. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Sarah, we're welcoming our sponsor, Element. That's spelled L-M-N-T, a zero sugar electrolyte drink that leans on current science about what our bodies really need in order to deliver the most effective hydration possible. You know, Sarah, Eric is really into keeping up with health research, and he's been insisting to me for years that we actually need more salt to stay hydrated. Turns out Element agrees because they've developed their product based on a growing body of research that shows that for optimal health outcomes, we actually need to be taking in sodium levels at two to three times government recommendations. 
That's a big difference. Yeah, it really is, Megan. And, you know, electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, and weakness. I know I can feel really rotten when I'm dehydrated. And also, I don't love the taste of plain water, so I'm not that great about drinking it. Element makes a huge difference in how much I'm enjoying my hydration and in how I feel, and it's super easy to fit it into my daily routine. My favorite flavor of Element is the grapefruit, but if that's not for you, we're going to get you set up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite Element flavor. Plus, Element has a no-questions-asked refund policy. You don't even have to send the product back to get your refund. Yeah, you can receive a free Element sample pack containing one packet of eight flavors, so you'll get eight total packets free with any order when you purchase through our custom URL. That's drinkelement.com slash momhour. D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash mom hour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and it's available for both new and returning customers. To get that offer, again, go to drinkelement.com slash mom hour. Okay, Sarah. So I have done a lot of talking today about my recent So good ventures. though. I love it. Well, and I know you're, you've really got a very active genealogy and family history research background in your family that you've benefited from, but maybe yeah. your personal experiences, let's, shall we say, emerging. Well, right. Because I have people in the generations above me who are not only alive and interested in these kind of things, but have, like you said, done a lot of the work. So I am realizing how much I benefit from that at this stage. Yeah. Well, that said, what is your experience? Tell us about, yeah. tell us about what you've benefited from. Yeah. So on my mom's mom's side, my grandma, who is 95 and in assisted living, still with us. Um, and you know, memory and cognition kind of in decline right now, but she, um, like I said, in her fifties really started to make this her retirement interest. And she also was a career English teacher and, a, you know, became a, a writer in her retirement and self-published two memoirs, one about her parents immigrating from Finland. Um, they met, I believe, in the Pacific Northwest, but they came from the same part of Finland, the Swedish speaking part of Western Finland. Um, and she wrote about their coming to this country and they're starting their life in logging camps in Washington State in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and that was just like, as I was growing up, my grandma was doing that work. And then the second one she wrote was about her teenage life in the World War II years. Um, so less about well, it was her own family history, but going back, it didn't go back quite as far. Um, and she was everything you said, minus the digital Internet part. So she went to Finland. I got to go when I was 10 with my mom and my grandparents and we visited towns and she reestablished contact with her first cousins, which then branched down into third, fourth, fifth cousins. Um, and that had a lasting effect. I have my cousin Marcus, who is my generation. So he's like, I don't know, my fifth cousin or something, but our our grandparents were first cousins. He is like five years older than me. And he through that, he came to the United States a couple of times like he has stayed in contact. So just the work that she did in like her 50s and 60s, um, I guess, still continues to have effects on like the way we see that side of the family tree, which is really, really cool. There's she dug up photos, all, everything you said, the marriage records, the birth, the immigration, yeah. the whole thing. Um, I think what that does for me is it creates kind of like a 
a false sense that I know my family history when, as you pointed out, we have four grandparents and that's only one of my grandparents. And then it's her family story. So on my mom's dad's side, um, I knew my grandpa well, and he also was a professor, an English teacher, a writer. I come from a line of people who like to write, you know, write about this stuff and which is such a gift. Um, but he wrote a lot in his, um, older, in his retirement years, he wrote stories and anecdotes. And again, kind of a self-published memoir about growing up in rural Idaho on a farm. He was one of nine siblings. Um, I don't think he was quite as interested in the generations that came before, or maybe I shouldn't say not interested. I don't remember his stories being as much about the generations before him, but he gave incredible like color and detail and humor to writing his own life story. And I have that in a book. So that's really, really cool. Um, on my dad's side, both ways, my dad's mom, my dad's dad, I know almost nothing. I mean, I know that my grandpa, uh, flew planes in world war two, I think. Um, my dad tells good stories about his growing up in Montana. Um, but he, like you said, when you were talking about some people just aren't interested, like when you said your dad and your aunt that you asked them and they were like, "Eh, why would you care? I think my, my dad trends more in that direction. I think he has an interest in having us and my kids know about his life. We did, um, that story worth project. We've worked with them. We did that a few years ago. So I love, and, and his stories are great. Um, but I don't, I don't sense a lot of interest in connecting a lot of dots above his. And I know very little. His mom died before I was born, actually before my parents even got married. So my mom didn't know my dad's mom. Um, and his dad died when I was a kid. Um, and he has a living brother and sister that he's kind of in touch with, but I haven't known deeply in my life. So it's really, that's all that to say, it's really imbalanced in terms of how much I know and how much there is to start with. Well, what I think is interesting about this, two things. One, you might find that your dad's, like if your dad told you stuff about his upbringing, you might be able to as quickly nowadays recreate everything going back from that. Like, because it's so much of that work, if not done by anyone you know, might have been done by a cousin, yeah, that's an true. aunt, whatever. And maybe it's just out there. Like you can yeah. stumble across other people's um family trees. And if you plug in anywhere along the line, yeah. like that work, it may be out there. Just your dad might just not be the liaison yeah. <laughs> to it. Um, but the other thing I think is so interesting about people who care and people who don't really care. I can sort of empathize with the people who aren't that interested because your family background means both, both everything and nothing uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> because it never ends. Like it goes back and back and back and back and back. And at some point we're all related. Like, yeah. And 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 then then what what? do you do? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's so interesting and so important, or actually maybe it's just way more interesting that your dad tells his grandkids about how he grew up and that's Mm -hmm. it. And that might be all anybody needs. So I think I can kind of see both sides. It's, It's like almost too overwhelming to start thinking about the layers on layers on layers of human turmoil that has led to all of us being here. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, um, speaking of stories, like what are some of those stories? And these can either be things that you have heard straight from the source or that like were in your, one of your grandma's books. Like, yeah. what do you know? Well, I have to first say all of the stories I'm about to tell are 
unconfirmed. I'd be a bad journalist. I feel like these stories of family lore, it's real easy to get details wrong and to have them passed around. And um, so I think that's funny. And I think probably when we start to do the digging and have the records to back it up, you're like, wait a second, that that doesn't match up exactly. So I'm just I'm just owning that. This is what I have heard. Um, So Tilda, who was my great grandmother and the one the one who came from Finland when she was a teenager, like 19 or something. The story is that she and her sister badly wanted to get tickets on an amazing ship called the Titanic and that they <laughs> waited in line. There's something. The story is like they they either showed up on the wrong day and they were all sold out or they waited in line and then they were all sold out. And that was their plan to get to North America was on the Titanic. So that left from Liverpool. Right. So I guess they had a plan to get from Finland to England. And then that was what they hoped to book passage on. And they would have been, I mean, they were very, very poor. So they would have been in steerage what it's called, Um, and not would not have fared well. So in my family, that is talked about as like, none of us would be here if she'd gotten the, the booking, the passage that she desperately wished for. Um, I also remember, this is something I remember hearing as a kid, probably when my grandma was doing her research. And it's just one of the things you remember as kids talking about the extreme poverty in Finland post-war, like post-war with Russia. And what I was told was that people were so cold and poor in the winter that they peed on their own feet. And of course, I say that with compassion for extreme poverty, but also as a kid, I was like, what? Like, (laughs) what? I, like how I, does that solve anything? How does yes. that, and it just stuck in my it stuck yeah. so much in my head because I was like eight or nine years old, um and I'm sure that they're yeah, I'm sure that that's true and it's awful yeah. but it's just I didn't have context for it being awful so much as like confusing and odd. So what, one thing I think is so valuable about stories like that and my grandma had a few I, I remember she was also very very poor and, and this was in Michigan um but they were they she was called piss pants pelcher. Pelcher was her last name okay. because she smelled like pee all the time. And I believe slept in her clothes because they didn't have blankets, like just things like that. And you yeah. just think, man, you'd be hard pressed to find an American kid these days who could identify with not that poverty doesn't still exist. And in some cases, extreme poverty, but it's, it's like, it's like the average, even lower, you know, working class kid just doesn't know that. Um, kind of life and didn't in the 80s when I was growing up either. So um yeah, you hear about those and you're just like that can't be true. Yeah. But yeah. it if it's not directly true, some part of it is true. The sentiment of it is true. Yeah, and and it's funny we get questions a lot from our listeners about how to how to give kids perspective about how lucky they are or to know to be grateful for their warm bed and their shelter and all their privilege. And it's like on the one hand we always say like kids just don't have that context yet. And, and I've, I have said that I've given that advice that it's very hard to give kids this kind of worldly context for their privilege. And at the same time, I remember like that stuck with me. So maybe in a way it is valuable to, um, those shocking details did stick with me as a kid and, and did give me a really visceral understanding of abject poverty. So I think it's more, I think when it's your own family history, it actually 
makes it is more it's like more impactful yeah. because it it's like what and yeah. then yeah so i don't think there's no value in it it's hard to expect a kid to like relate yes or change the, their behavior like they're right. not going to stop being a jerk about wanting the toy in the target aisle because they know that but right. but yeah i think it's it's good to know um and then speaking of hard things another thing that was so common as you said with the tuberculosis is that just losing a child or a sibling death in childhood was so commonplace um, yeah. generations back. And so the story that is well written about and talked about in my family is my grandma, the one who wrote about it and grew up in a logging camp in Washington state, um, had a brother who died at age five in an accident on the train tracks in the logging camp, I believe right in front of their house. They lived in the, in the workers housing on, on the logging camp and the tracks would go by. And it was like a, not not a big train, like a cart, like a, a thing that went back and forth and did things for the logging camp. And he um, died at age five. And it just to think how those things then affect generations. I mean, his photo, yeah. he looks like all the photos of him. So this would have been in the 20s. Um, you know, so there are photos of him. And for generations, my family have thought he looks like this cousin or he looks like this or, you know, it's just that's one tiny example. But um, I do think that stuck with me, of course, and is a big is a big story in that side of the family. Um, <laughs> this happened a few years ago. This is on my dad's side um, where we know very little. And my dad's mom's name was Jane. Um, and I've heard a lot about her. I've heard that I'm built like her and um, different things mostly very positive, loving things over the years. Um, and my middle name is Jane and I, after her and I gave Violet my middle name. So Violet's middle name is Jane. I was sitting around a table, like, I don't know, eight years ago or something with a couple of women from my dad's side, which is already very rare. I don't see the extended family on that side very often. And somehow this came up. Oh, and my aunt, my dad's twin sister, her middle name is also Jane. So like three okay. of us, Middle name Jane after my grandma Jane. Well, it comes out her name, her given name wasn't Jane. It was like maybe that was like a nickname or like maybe she was named. Her name was Pauline or something. And she was she came from Texas and there were a lot of like, oh, you're named this, but we're actually going to call you this. And maybe Jane was her middle name. But I was like looking around. The I'm like, wait, why are we all why are we all passing down this name? It wasn't even her name. And everyone kind of laughed. And we were like, I don't know. I don't know why we are. So it was just one of those moments of like, you think you know what, what the story is. And then if I went going to look for records, that would be confusing. Yes. There's no Jane. The name thing can be very confusing in records. Not only are they and it's a tip I meant to give earlier. They're often misspelled. Um, mm, yeah. But also people went by all kinds of names that were not their names. And sometimes there's no like even connection. You can't right. even figure out where it came from. Yeah. So definitely another thing that can, unless you have that direct family history story that tells you it's sometimes that can become like a dead end or a stumbling yeah. block. Yeah. yeah. And then of course we're a little more creative these days um, with naming babies and everyone wants to be unique, but there was a time when like Mary, you know, Jane, yeah. Just super common names, John, David. Yeah. My dad's mom, um, and this is where I started kind of researching back way back in the day, is coming from a big Irish Catholic family in Boston, last oh. name Boyle. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with all that, you know. So I kind of just stopped. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm never this is going nowhere. So. I love it. 
Um, did you write anything on your blog or on your podcast about this topic that we could point the listener yeah. to? I have a few posts up on my Substack actually okay. about it. Um, so yes, happy to link those. Yeah, let's link those up. And then I know, like I said at the beginning, we have listeners who are already very, very into this. So usually the Facebook group is a good place for uh, you all to share the things you know even more about than we do. So. Um, if you're not in the Facebook group, um, I always like to plug it as like the only place I go on Facebook. I just have it bookmarked and then I go right in there because I don't otherwise use Facebook anymore. Um, but it is such a warm and kind idea sharing place. And we'll link up how to join um, in the show notes. There are some questions um, that just kind of verify you're actually part of the mom hour community because it's not just like a mom group. It is a group for listeners of this podcast who have that in common. So. Um, it's not like a hard test you have to pass, but it kind of is in that we want we want it to be a place for listeners of the show. So um, join us over there. And I think that's a really good place to keep this conversation going. I agree. And the other thing I want is to see your family tree, because Sarah, wouldn't it be crazy if we were related? I, yes, it would. I mean, the, once we get to Finland somewhere. Yeah. yeah. What I've heard is it's very tight knit over there. I mean, you were Swede, Swede Finns, a little mm-hmm. bit different, but there might have been some intermarriage or something. Sure. So. Um, well, this was really fun and wishing everybody out there uh, happy ancestry <laughs> hunting <laughs> or very much not. Maybe after Thanksgiving, you were like, nope, I'm good. We're, we're looking I'd rather forward. not know anything starting <laughs> Look, over. Looking forward from here on out. All right, everybody. We will be back with you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.